Good morning. Isn't that a great song to bring our hearts and our attention back to where it needs to be? That we have a living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and died for our sins and paid the price for the, the sins that, that we have committed, taking uh, our place on the cross, serving as our substitute, but then being buried in that, in that cold ground and in that dark grave, but then being raised to new life. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging somebody like me. I hope it's encouraging to you. It's encouraging to know that he is our living hope. He is our only hope. He's the only hope that we have in this life. He's the only hope that we have for the life to come. We as a people of God come together this morning to be able to unite our voices together in singing songs like that, to unite our hearts around the common faith that we hold with one another, that Jesus Christ is our living hope, and then to unite our attention together around the Holy Word that the Holy Spirit has authored and given to us, particularly at moments just like this, that we can rally ourselves around. And so I pray that that has already been an encouragement to you this morning, and I pray that it will continue to be as we do that this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me once again to the book of Habakkuk and to chapter 2. And uh, as we, uh, we begin studying this book a couple of weeks ago, and we want to continue uh, studying it today, and, and I told you something back in the introduction to this book a couple of weeks ago that I want to reiterate today, and that is the name of uh, Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk is, it literally means to, to wrestle. It can also mean to embrace. So the act of wrestling and the act of embracing can often look very similar, but they, they're not the same. To wrestle with something means to struggle and to, 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 to grapple with something, but to embrace something means that you, you're wrapping your arms around it in, in acceptance and in love of it. But the name Habakkuk is, it means that. It means to wrestle or it means to Embrace and, and, and I think what we've seen thus far in our study of the book of Habakkuk, what we've seen is that Habakkuk is a wrestler. He's been wrestling with God. He's been, he's been asking God some very hard questions. He's been looking around at the nation of Judah in which he is, is ministering to, and he sees all that is going on there, and he's been struggling with what he sees. In fact, his question to God has been, how long? How long are you going to to hear the cries of my heart coming out to you over all of the injustice that I see going over there and over all the lawlessness? How long are you going to hear me cry out to you and yet you you will not answer. How long will you allow this to continue and to go on? He's been struggling with God by asking the question of why. Why would you allow this to take place to begin with? Why would you allow such circumstances to come about? Habakkuk has been wrestling, true to his name, he's been wrestling with God. And he's been wrestling with what he perceives to be God's idleness, his inactivity, and also his indifference to what's going on. But as we noted last week, God was neither idle, nor was he indifferent. In fact, God responds to the hard questions that, that Habakkuk asks there in chapter 1 with, with, a, with an answer that Habakkuk was not expecting. An answer that revealed that God would indeed deal with the disobedience of Judah and the situation going on there, but he would do so in a way that would honestly cause things to go from, from bad to worse. 
God told Habakkuk to lift his eyes and to look beyond the walls of Jerusalem out to what was going on in the international scene. And there he says, I'm going to raise up a proud, power-hungry group of pagans and they're going to take care and do things for my bidding. In verse 6 of chapter 1, we read, God says, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, as we mentioned last week, also known as the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. In other words, God reveals to Habakkuk that he's going to raise up this nation of worldwide dominance that will eventually spread all the way into Judah. In fact, the Chaldeans would conquer and they would decimate the nation of Judah. And God tells Habakkuk that all of that would occur as a means by which he intended to bring judgment upon his people because of their disobedience. Now, as you can imagine, Habakkuk wrestled all the more with God's answer. And in his mind, the cure that God was, was bringing about was worse than the sickness. Sure, the Jews living in Judah were bad, but... They weren't that bad. They weren't as bad as the Chaldeans. They weren't as bad as the Babylonians. Those people were wicked. They were evil. How could God use such a people to punish his own? Habakkuk continues to wrestle with God. In fact, he asks the same questions at the end of chapter 1 that he asks at the beginning, only in reverse order. He begins with why. Why would, why would you use someone like this to accomplish your will? That's in verse 14. And then in verse 17, he effectively asks how long? How long will they be allowed to go and ravage and destroy nations? I've mentioned this a couple times already, but when you come to the end of chapter 1, you realize that Habakkuk is a confused man living in troubling times, wondering what God is up to. And in his confusion, Habakkuk lived up to his name. He wrestled with God. But I want you to see something. I don't want to leave us there today. You're right there in chapter 2. Just turn over one page maybe to chapter 3. and Look down with me at verse 17. Because in chapter 3, verse 17, we, we, we hear the final words of this book. And I told you that Habakkuk's name means one who wrestles with God, but it can also mean one who embraces God. And, and when we get to the end of chapter 3, we, we see that the situation in Judah is still not good. Things are still not going great in Judah. But you sense a change in the man Habakkuk. He is, he is one who is no longer wrestling with God, but he is one who has embraced God. He might, we even say, he's moved from wrestling to worshiping God. Listen to what he says. Verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Now I want you to know we're going to come back to that passage at a later date. I'm not going to deal with it, but I wanted to this morning, but I wanted to read it for you. I wanted you to know where it's coming to. I wanted you to know where this whole book ends up. I wanted you to see that because the central thought 
And the point that I want us to roll through our minds this morning is simply this. How does Habakkuk move from one who is wrestling with God to one who is worshiping God? How does he move from being a wrestler to an embracer? In fact, I want to take that question and move it back to a personal question, one that you and I need to ask ourselves. How can I, in the midst of troubling, confusing, weird, hard, disturbing times, how can I move from being someone who is wrestling, struggling with God, to being someone who can worship Him and embrace Him and embrace His ways? How can I move from being one who wrestles to one who worships? Well, let me tell you that the pivot point of the book of Habakkuk, I believe, the hinge upon which everything in this that turns happens in chapter 2, verse 1. In chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk, really, there are, some, there are some things that occur there and in the couple of verses that follow it that I believe were absolutely crucial for Habakkuk to understand that allowed him to transition from wrestler to worshiper, and I believe they're going to be crucial for you and I to understand if we want to make that jump as well. Now, let me just tell you, I'm going to do things a little different today, and it's probably going to mess some of you up, but it's okay. You'll be all right. I'm going to give you my sermon in a sentence up front, and that's going to matter even before we read the text. Can you believe it? I'm going to give it to you now. So you've already got it. So if you go to sleep through the rest of the service, at least you've got this, right? Okay. I want you to see it because I think it's going to be helpful for us. It's going to give us the point to which we're shooting at. And here it is. My sermon and sentence this morning is this. If you, in order to move from wrestling with God to worshiping Him, you must wait on Him, watch for Him, and walk with Him. Now, for all of you who really like to go ahead and fill out your outline in advance and try to figure out what I'm going to say, this sermon's for you because the outline's in the sermon and the sentence. But hang with me. Let's read the text together this morning. This is, this is what Habakkuk says. Verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Here's what God says in return. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, and at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it surely will come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. And we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in your house to be able to worship you, to read your scriptures and to understand how we are to process and live in the light of some really confusing times in which we find ourselves. Lord, I believe that there is no message that you ever send that is to the wrong people at the wrong time. And so as a consequence, I pray that you would prick our hearts and allow your Holy Spirit to do his great work in our lives this morning through your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. 
Listen, if you want to move from being someone who's wrestling with God to someone who can worship God in the midst of confusing, crazy, weird, upside-down times, you're going to have to learn to wait on God, watch for Him, and walk with Him. That's what this text teaches us this morning. Now, as I said, your outline is pretty clear. It should be right there for you. Y'all can tell them I said hey too, by the way. (laughs) Notice the first hook that I've given you there this morning. It's waiting on God. Waiting on God. Now, I, I readily admit that waiting is one of the hardest things for me to do. I am not a patient person by nature. I'm not someone who likes to wait. I take a little bit of comfort in the fact, though, that I know that all of you are just about like me. And here's how I know that all of us, by and large, are people that don't like to wait. The reason that I know that is because of the way that society caters to and accommodates our impatience. We have things like fast food of all varieties and kinds that are available for us. All we got to do is drive through and get it and pick it up, and there we have it. We not only that, we have express checkout lanes at the grocery stores because we don't want to have to wait there. I've even been told that we, that even though I don't attend such places as this, but I've been told that, that amusement parks have fast passes that you can buy in advance that legally let you cut in line. I don't understand that. I got sent to the principal's office for doing that all growing up, and now it's legal. We have, we have the fastest Internet speeds the 5G network that supposedly allow us to download things faster and upload stuff faster. What I understand is that we are not a people that like to wait. We are not people that have patience. It is not our nature to slow things down and to just wait and to be patient. And yet, do you understand how many times the Bible says that's exactly what the people of God are to do? The psalmist says this in Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations 3, verse 25, that the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And then James tells us in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Listen, the list of references that I could have read for you this morning from the scriptures that tell us to be patient and to wait upon the Lord could literally go on and on and on all morning. What that reminds us is that waiting may not be natural for us. It may not be the thing that we want to do, It may not be our heart's desire. But if we want to move from wrestling with God to worshiping Him, we're going to have to learn to wait on the Lord. 
Habakkuk came to understand this. There was an impatience in his prayer in chapter 1. You notice how he's, how long, God? How long are you going to just not answer my prayers? How long are you going to continue to allow this to go on? How long were these Chaldeans are going to continue to be able to ravage people and do all the things that they do? But as we saw last week, having come face to face with the eternal, self-existent, holy, sovereign, faithful, loving God that is revealed to us in Scripture, the same God was revealed to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk recognized that all I can do in light of everything that I see is to wait. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. The ESV puts it this way, what I will answer concerning my complaint. Either way, Effectively, Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait and I'm going to be silent until the Lord gives me an answer to my prayer. You know, being silent is part of waiting. It's not an easy part, but it is a part. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, he says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven. You are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. James tells us in James 1 verse 19, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. I reverse those all the time. I am swift to speak, slow to hear. Now, what I want you to imagine is just what difference it would make in my life. What difference would it make in your life if we got our hands around that? If we began to understand that that when we face the difficult moments in our lives, oftentimes it's not there for us to jump out in front of it. It's there for us to wait upon the Lord and to be patient. You see, I often want to tell God what He should do. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but I'm just going to be transparent with you. So often I take my prayer request to the Lord and then I outline exactly for him how I want him to answer my prayer. I think I know exactly the best way for him to go about doing what he needs to do. So God, here's my request and here's how I would like for you to answer it. I'm ashamed to tell you that. But it is so true. I was convicted this week and reminded of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, but also 7 and 8. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. And then He comes back and hits you with the left hook after He's just hit you with the right hook. And He says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You see, when we wait on the Lord, we need to practice silence. Now, by silence, I'm not saying that we don't need to speak. That's not the same thing. The Bible tells us to speak, to cast our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to Him. We carry our requests to Him. We make our prayers known to Him. 
Nevertheless, being silent while we wait on the Lord means that we silence our own wisdom. We silence our own solutions to how the problems we face should be solved and we express confidence in the Lord to direct our paths according to His will. Furthermore, I believe being silent while we wait on the Lord means that we need to silence our complaining. That's hard. I'll be frank with you, I don't always like what I see happening around me. I don't always like the way things go. My team does not always win. Things don't always go the way that I want them to go. And when that occurs, I want you to know that my natural instinct is to murmur and to complain. Waiting on the Lord in silence is hard. Here's the question. When the things come along in our lives that we don't like and we would not have chosen for ourselves and when our team doesn't win and when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, do we at that moment truly believe what the Scriptures teach us? Do we truly believe what it says in Matthew 10 verse 29 that that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father's will? Do we truly believe what it says in Proverbs 21 verse 1 that the king's heart the president's heart, the governor's heart, the world leader's hearts, that they are in the hand of the Lord and that like the rivers of water, the Lord turns it wherever He wishes. Do we really believe that? Because if we do, if we really believe that, then we will cast our cares upon the Lord and then we will wait on Him in silence without murmuring, and without complaining. We do that in faith. We do that believing that God is working out His plan. Listen, Habakkuk had no idea how God was going to accomplish what God was going to accomplish when he's right there in chapter 2, verse 1. At that point, history had not been written. He couldn't look back and see how God was working. All he knew was what he knew about God. And all he knew was what he could see. And in his mind, he could not understand how God, a God so holy as he, could use an evil, wicked nation like the Chaldeans to punish the Jews of Judah. It was beyond his imagination. But he knew what he knew about God. And he stood on that. He couldn't harmonize everything together into a cohesive whole at this point. And that's where we have to consider another aspect of waiting. Something that I believe is so, so plain that it almost seems silly to state it. But it's nevertheless the essence of waiting on God. And that is this. Waiting on God, it takes time. Waiting on God takes time. Notice how God responds to Habakkuk in verses 2 and 3. He says, The Lord answered me and said, Write this vision, make it plain, on tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. And at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Here's the best way I know how to describe that. I said it a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. God is never early, and yet he is never late. 
God is always, always, always right on time, the appointed time for His time to bring the things to pass that He desires to bring to pass. Now, scholars point to the fact that right here, when, when Habakkuk answers this question, and when he states what he does, or excuse me, when God says what he does to Habakkuk in verses 2 and 3, that he's answering the most immediate question that Habakkuk had asked back in verse 17, which basically was, how long will the Chaldeans be allowed to go in the world and, and ravage the world and to do all the wicked things that they do? And God basically says, look, there is an appointed time for that nation to do the things that I have raised them up to do, and there's also an appointed time for their judgment to come as well. In other words, according to his sovereign rule, God tells Habakkuk that there was a divinely predetermined moment for everything that will take place. As Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. You see, I think we often become fretful and we become frustrated and we become fearful when we don't see ha things happening as quickly as we want to see them happen. When, when the time frame in which God works is different from our time frame, we tend to lose control of ourselves and our emotions and, and we tend to, to get things out of focus and out of whack. When our observable experiences do not match up to God's declared promises, we tend to lose control of ourselves. But the Lord declares here, he does things according to his timing, not ours. And listen, waiting on God takes time. Later in Scripture, the, the first century church, the Christians were being persecuted and mercilessly treated so horribly by, by those in, in, in the countries in which they lived. And they were, they were ostracized and, and, and just persecuted in ways far beyond our imagination in this century in which we live. But their persecution caused them to yearn for the return of the Lord and they prayed for it. In fact, they stated it very clearly. This is our hope that God would return, that the Lord Jesus Christ would return and lift and, and take away us and, 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 and rapture the church. It's often the same prayer that you hear us pray today, but they were, they, those who opposed them and persecuted them, criticized them and mocked them because of that prayer. Just as oftentimes we are criticized and mocked. In fact, the Apostle Peter states what, that, what they said in 2 Peter 3 verse 4. People would say to them, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You've got your hope placed in the wrong place, they would say. Those early Christians were desperately longing for their trial to end, but then as Peter went on to remind them, he also reminds us in 2 Peter 3, Verse 9, the Lord is not slack or slow to fulfill His promise as some count slackness. He goes on in verse 10 to say this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Listen, waiting on God necessitates that we recognize that God's will will take time. But He will never be early. He will never be late. 
Brothers and sisters, if you and I want to move from wrestling with God to worshiping him and embracing him and the joy of knowing who he is and knowing that he is our God and that we are his people, then we will have to move from wrestling with him and his timing. And we're going to have to learn to wait on him, ceasing our complaining spirits and trusting in him. So that's the first hook of this text, just waiting on God. And aren't you glad we're done with it? The second one is this, watching for God. Watching for God. Back in verse 1, as part of his waiting, Habakkuk declared that he would stand upon his watch. So, Nehemiah is not the shortest prophet in the Old Testament. It's Habakkuk who was able to stand on his watch. Y'all can take that one for later. Use it for your kids. Habakkuk declared that he would stand upon his watch and that he would set himself on the rampart, that he would that he would climb up a watchtower in order to wait to see what God would do. Now, in every fortified city, even around the walls of the city or around the, the, the perimeter of the city, there would be these, these, these towers that would be built for watchmen to climb up into, and their responsibility was to search the horizon and to look for messengers that were coming bearing, bearing word from foreign lands or, or for armies that would be on the march against that city. Their job was to look for that so that they could announce, they could warn those within the city what was going to come about. Habakkuk uses this metaphor for what he intends to do. He tells us that, that he is going to wait upon the Lord by watching for the Lord to see what the Lord is doing. What that tells us is that, that waiting is not inactive. Waiting is not an idle thing. We don't just sit around, twiddle our thumbs, do nothing. No, well, while we wait, we watch. We look to see what God is doing. We gain a different perspective on things. Listen, a watchman would climb a tower so that he could do what? See better. Because while he's down on the ground, he doesn't have the same vantage point. He can't see as far. He can't see as well. He would climb the tower so he could see what was going on at farther distances away. And that elevated position, I believe, communicates how we are to respond to God, how we are to watch for what God is doing. We need to gain a different perspective on things sometimes. When we, when we just stay on the ground, let's say it that way, when we're just at ground level, all we can see things is from our perspective in the here and the now. But, but when we have the vision of, of climbing that tower, as it were, and seeing things from God's perspective, well, we gain a different perspective. Back a few months ago, my family and I went on a, a hike up to Brasstown Ball. And that, that joker's 4,784 feet. And I walked it off. And we got to the top, and we rested for a while, and then we went to the observation deck. And you walk around the, the top of the observation deck, and you can see all the way into North Carolina and South Carolina and Tennessee and into Georgia. And, 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 and they have marked all these little towns where you're looking. You can see, and they'll say, okay, this is, this is here, and this is there. And many of these towns I had been in, and I had driven through. And I'm going, oh, okay, so that's how I see. Okay, so this is over here. And I've been to these places, and I've driven through these towns, and man, it looked completely different from 4,784 feet than when I was driving through the town. That, in some way, gives you an idea of what Habakkuk is saying. 
I want to get to the place where I can maybe understand what God is doing from His perspective. Listen, the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you and I are going to gain an understanding of how God works and how He moves, we've got to understand how He sees things. So, Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, when I climb up on that watchtower, what am I going to do when I watch for God? I'm going to listen to what he will say to me. There's there in verse 1. What he will say to me. How do you and I metaphorically climb that watchtower so that we too can hear what the Lord says to us? It's right here. God has revealed his will. He's revealed everything we need to know about him in this word. He has shown us His ways. He has given us the directions that He wants us to walk. And He's given us all the way, if you turn to the last book, He tells us how it's all going to turn out. We have God's perspective given to us right here. So when we watch for God, our responsibility is to get that perspective into our minds, to move away from the here and now that constantly confuses us and perplexes us and gets us all ripped up into the turmoil in which we find ourselves and gain the perspective that God has from Scripture. That's what it means to watch for Him. This last Wednesday night, I was listening in on the Zoom meeting and for our Awana classes and the TNT kids were all quoting their, their, their verses and they were, they were quoting Hebrews 4.12. For the word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It was a real blessing to hear these kids quoting that. I think it's not just good for kids to memorize that. It's probably good for all of us to memorize that as well, to recognize that the Word of God explains to us who God is and knows and it's able to go down into the deepest parts of who we are, separating the the good from the bad and the, the wheat from the chaff inside our hearts and be able to expose even the intents and thoughts of our hearts. Listen, the Word of God gives us the perspective. It helps us to watch for and to see what God is doing in the world in which we live. That's what it means to wait for Him. That's what it means to watch for Him. And then the last point that I want you to know is is that if we are going to move from wrestling with God to worshiping Him, we have got to walk with Him. That's the third point. Walking with God. Verse 4. The Lord tells Habakkuk this, Behold the proud... His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Listen, if verse 1 of chapter 2 is the turning point of the book of Habakkuk, verse 4, I believe, is the key point of the book of Habakkuk. It's what everything's going to focus on from this point forward. As K.L. Barker has commented, in the day of turmoil and destruction, the righteous person shall live by his faithfulness to God. I'm only going to touch on this verse just very briefly this morning. We're going to come back to it next time, the Lord willing. But I want you to notice that the Lord gives only two possible ways to live in this verse. There's only two ways to live. You can live with a proud, puffed up heart that walks according to your own ways, or you can live in humility and faith in the Lord. Only two ways. We can even say it this way. There are two ways to walk in this life. You can walk in pride, 
swollen in your own confidence in yourself and in your own achievements and your accomplishments. That's the way of the Chaldeans, by the way. That's how they walked. That's how they were. They, they believed they were the ones that could just decide whatever they did. They were confident in their own military might. They were the proud, puffed up ones that's being discussed there in verse 4. But it's, what was true of them is true of all of us. You can walk that way or you can live in humility. And that's to live with the courage of ne- that's necessary to accept God's plan and to live according to His promises. To live by faith is really to live and conduct oneself in the exact opposite way of one who is puffed up and swollen with pride in themselves. It's to acknowledge that while we may not understand what all God is doing, our confidence nevertheless is that God is doing something and that He has not abandoned us. And when we come to that place and when we come to the realization that His promises are rock solid, then our hearts can be turned to worship. We can begin to praise Him even through the circumstances that we do not understand. As the Scriptures say, we walk by faith, not by sight. If we walk out in this world and we just walk according, live according to what we see, you and I are going to end up wrestling with God every single time. We must walk by faith. When we do, we will begin to walk according to His Word. I want you to know... According to, to John chapter 3, verse 36, we read this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What that verse tells us is, is that not only are we just, not only is the end result just us wrestling with God, the end result is, is when we choose not to place our faith in God, we end up forfeiting the life that God has for us. We end up being ones who stand condemned because of our sin and stand under the wrath of a holy God. That's what it means when I say there are only two options. There's two ways to live. You can live according to life, or you can live according to death. The narrow path that leads to life, or you can walk down the broad path that leads to destruction. There is no third option. There is no other way to the Father but through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And the Bible says there is no way to the Father except through Him. And those who do come to faith in Christ, well, we can have confidence that the Scriptures give us that no matter what comes and no matter what our immediate futures may hold, we can be absolutely sure that God is in total control. And He will never leave us or forsake us. So I want to conclude this morning just asking you this question. Are you wrestling with God? Are you striving with Him? Are you struggling and fighting Him over what you see going on around you? Is your heart in a state of uproar and turmoil? Are you just gripped by things that you just can't seem to find any peace? Do you desire peace? Do you want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Do you want to worship Him and to rest in Him? If you desire to move from one who is wrestling with God to one who is able to embrace God and to worship Him, then what I want you to know is that you need to learn to wait on Him. You need to trust His timing. You need to trust His plan and His means of bringing His will to pass. You need to watch for Him and develop the skills that are necessary to see 
things from His perspective through studying His Word and through listening to Him speak to you in prayer. And then you need to walk with Him in faith. And that means, that means shunning the urge to, to walk in confidence of yourself and in your own solutions, but trusting in Him and the one whom He has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of you in this room today, maybe that's where you need to begin. You need to begin by, by pushing away confidence in yourself and trusting in Jesus Christ, perhaps for the very first time. If that's the case, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I would like for you to grab my hand before you leave today, grab Pastor Ted's hand, and let us talk with you and let us pray with you. If you're worshiping with us online, they're going to put a phone number up in just a moment. And when they do that, you can call that number. And if you would like for one of the pastors of this church to pray with you, we would love to do so. We'd love to be able to talk with you of what it means to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and to walk, by him, walk with Him in faith. That's the first thing, that, that's the first major step that has to take place if you're going to be a true worshiper of God is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have done that, and if that is your testimony, then I want you to know if you are still wrestling with God and you want to worship Him, you're going to have to learn to wait on God and to watch for Him, and to walk with Him. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank You for Your love and mercy, and we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for how You loved us so much that You came to bear our, the burden of our sin upon Yourself on Calvary's cross, that God's wrath against sin was poured out upon You and not upon us, and because that's the case, through faith in you, we can have life everlasting. You, your resurrected body, just as we sang earlier this morning, gives us hope of our resurrection. And so you are our living hope, and we declare that this morning. And because you are our living hope, we can trust you in the midst of circumstances which we do not understand, because we know that you're a good God. We know your heart. You have revealed it to us. So we praise you and we thank you for being a God that loves us like you do. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.